What's up, everybody? Troy Cartwright here. Welcome back to another episode of Ten Year Town. A couple housekeeping items before we get started. We are gearing up for our first live event in 2024, so make sure you are subscribed to the Ten Year Town community at tenyeartown.com, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Today's guest is Josh Jenkins. Josh is a Grammy-nominated hit songwriter and the lead singer of the band Green River Ordnance. He's written songs for Walker Hayes, Jordan Davis, Dustin Lynch, Randy Hauser, and many, many more. He was a co-writer on the four times platinum hit Fancy Like, recorded by Walker Hayes, and the CMA Song of the Year by Dirt, recorded by Jordan Davis. I've known Josh a long time, and he is truly one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's always been great to me. There's a ton of value in this episode, and I hope y'all love it. Without further ado, here he is, Josh Jenkins. Dude, uh, thank you for being here. And thank uh, you. we always start this thing off with the same question, which is how long have you been in town? Been in town like 12 years. Okay. Yeah, 12 years. Yeah. Where, uh, where from? I think I know. Born but. and raised in a small town in Texas called Alito, Texas. Yeah. 30 minutes west of Fort Worth. Okay. Um, did you go to high school out there? I did. Okay. Holds the state record for the amount of times they've won state in football. They have a very um, nice football stadium, right? Yeah, I, did, I, I didn't play football. wasn't good at it, but I <laughs> I like Friday Night Lights, so I claim yeah. I claim that. Um, but small little town, grew up there, my bro and I, and um, you know, it was uh, you know outside of Fort Worth. So we, I always say Fort Worth, obviously, because yeah. people are like Alito. I don't know that. Yeah, how I actually like, I lived in Capel till I was like twelve, which is like not Dallas, not Fort right? It's like, they call it the mid cities, but like what it is, like it was like sub suburb vibes. Yeah. Like how did, what was Alito like? Was it? Alito was 3A pretty, it's like Friday Night Lights, like small little country town. It's okay. like a football town. So is it still that way or has it? It's blown up a lot because of how successful the football has been that yeah. it's, it still feels small, but there's a lot of people that have moved there. They got a really good school district kind of thing. But when I moved there, it was real small. I moved from like Haltom City, okay. more of the Fort Worth uh, Metroplex area and moved out there and it was, it was uh, it was awesome. It was a small little town, and you know, um, I grew up. You know, coming from that, I really I think I enjoyed that in high school. Kind yeah, of small. That's a that's a great way to grow up. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of latitude. Yeah, a lot of freedom. it was great. A lot of yeah, my parents had you know more space there, and I, some of my best friends you know in my life are from there. So yeah. it was great. That's awesome, man. So how did you like? You were in a band, started a band, did that whole thing. Yeah. So like walk me through like that, that timeline, like when did, when did that start? And, and yep. then how did that kind of get you to, to worry to Nashville, I guess? Yeah. So our dad, my bro and I, um, our dad was a songwriter, aspiring songwriter in Texas would play little divey spots and, you know, would write songs and play in a cover band. And he met my mom. My mom was working the door and okay. my dad was a songwriter Wow. and he had us and so he was working, they were working full time and my dad was writing songs on the side as a hobby. Okay. And he would, I remember vividly as a kid, he would have a yellow legal pad and he would be writing song hooks. And I'd be like, what are you doing dad? And he'd be circling things in the newspaper. And he would just, just for the joy of it, writing songs. Wow. So my bro and I grew up playing Opry's in Texas, which kind of hole in the wall, you know, Wiley, Texas and Weatherford, Texas and Grapevine and all these Opry's have a house band and you play 
whatever songs, you know, traditional country songs. You get up yeah. there and play. And we would, they had a, we basically had a family band. Okay. So my dad, mom, and my brother and I would sing. And I was like, you know, seven, eight years old, That's singing awesome. George Jones, The Race Is On and all this stuff. And then I started singing more on my own, singing Myrtle Haggard songs and Gene Watson songs about dying, drinking and cheating. That was my introduction to music. Yeah. And my dad at, at the time also was like, hey, if you guys want to play music, you should learn how to write songs. And so he would yeah. send my brother and I into separate rooms and we'd have a yellow legal pads and we'd write songs as like an 11 year old. Oh my God. And that was just like our rapid fire. Our dad kind of opened up, you know, the world of creativity to us as kids. Yeah. And we would, you know, write songs and have fun with it. And my brother was like hard line, like, I'm going to go to Nashville. I want to be Trace Atkins. And, and I was like, I don't know. I like country music, but I'm kind of want to explore. And I heard Third Eye Blind and Matchbox 20 and yeah. Edwin, McCain, Edwin McCain and Train and Goo Goo Dolls and all the stuff. And I was like, this sounds cool. And so then through a friend of a friend, they were like a band in Fort Worth. These brothers, Jamie and Jeff Ice, started a band called Green River Ordinance. And they yeah. had long hair on their to their shoulders, wore bell bottoms, and they were like a blues rock band. And I joined the band because they were looking for a singer. And that was the start of Green River. Wow. I was 15 at the time. And I'd written a couple of songs. And I remember playing my first show at Ridgely Theater and I was just terrified. And I was just, I think I drank some butt ices before because I was so <laughs> terrified. And I was, because I never performed in front of like people doing my own songs. It's yeah. only been with a band. And so that was the start of Green River. And then we went to college together and dropped out of college first year and a half in. And then Where toured. did y'all, so uh, when, when did the band start? When like, I was 15, but they okay. had started before I was in the band. Like what year around was that? That was, um, so I graduated in 03. Okay. So they, I joined the band in like 01. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. And then where did y'all, where were y'all in school? Like in college? Uh, they went to TCU. Okay. And then I went to uh, TCC. So they were all going to TCU and I was like, I don't even know what I want to do. I want to play music. So instead yeah. of going to spend a lot of money, I went to the TCC, Tarrant County College oh, in yeah. Fort Worth, Texas, junior college. For, yeah. You know, whopping $1,500, you could whop out a fall semester of school. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> so I did that and in the band and we were like, we convinced the parents like, hey, can we drop out? Cause you know, their parents were paying for their college and yeah. can, you, can we drop out and give this a run? And we met a guy in Fort Worth, amazing little like producer, not producer, manager, Paul yeah. Steele, who was one of my best friends. And he basically cast the vision for us like, hey, he had a management company and he was like, here's what we can do. We're going to tour independently for a year and a half. And we're going to try to build up enough momentum to then go shop record, you know, record deals. Yeah. And so we, you know, hustled and played everywhere that would have us and through his connections and songs coming out, got on tour with some bands we loved and like need to breathe early on and a bunch of bands that we, and, and you had music out. We had music point. out okay. back in the compact disc age, yeah, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so I remember in high school and in early college, you know, everything was like so physical. We would print flyers and put it on people's uh, cars or we would go to every sorority at college and yeah. play, you know, do the thing. We'd go play for all the sororities. And if the girls came, the guys came too. So yeah. we'd go in TCU, we'd play for all the sororities, play a song. And then all the, and we would do girls get in free at the Aardvark in Fort Worth, Texas, but oh, yeah. guys have to pay. And dude, the place was packed. So we just did that all over Texas and That's built up awesome. enough following, making no dollars, but having a lot of fun as, as 20 year olds. And then that kind of rolled into us getting, meeting one night in Fort Worth, Texas, the Rigid Theater, the place I'd originally played with them was kind of our home base. And Collective Soul was coming through and their opening band had fallen off. Well, the owners of Ridgely knew us, these like you yeah. know, college scrappy kids, and they had us 
um, open up the show. We got to meet Ed Roland and Ed Roland, obviously collective soul was some heroes of ours. And Ed saw our show, called his A&R guy, Kim Stevens. And Kim Stevens had signed Matchbox 20 and um, Collective Soul. And he then, we formed a relationship with him and he is the one that signed us to Capital out of New York. Okay. So it was a full circle kind of thing with them. And that was our, all of our independent days to the Capital thing. Yeah. And what was that process like? Like, cause I kind of know what it is in the Nashville system, but like signing with a major label out of New York, like did they, did they come down to shows? Do you go up there and play in their whatever boardroom or whatever? Like we did a show at, um, it wasn't Arlene's grocery. Uh, it was somewhere in New York. I can't remember the name of the place. Okay. And Jason Flom, who was used to be at Atlantic, he signed Matchbox only. So he and Kim were at Capital Virgin and, we, you know, we're, you're doing the thing. And as you do the, the label dance, more labels get interested. So there's yeah. a few people like, Ooh, and, and we ended up doing a showcase in New York for Jason and Jason just was like, Hey, we want to sign you. And then they, you know, in the label world at that time, um, we felt fortunate because we had a couple other friends that were in bands that signed and never got to release music. And they, they gave us money to make a record. And that first full length record actually came out which some of the friends didn't. And um, yeah. it was awesome. We got to make a record with a guy named Paul Ebersold and Jordan Kreitz made a record called Out of My Hands. And then in that, we got to go on tour with, you know, we went on tour with Switchfoot and Goo Goo Dolls and got to open up shows for Third Eye Blind and all these Man. bands that we had toured with. And then yeah. we, we were buddies with Need to Breathe because we had toured with them when we both were playing for like 150 people. Yeah. And so we got to do shows with them again and we were just making no dollars, but we would play for Collective Soul and Gavin DeGraw. And then after the show, we would literally stand outside with boxes of CDs and be like, help us get to the next town. We have a 15 passenger van and here's CDs for $20 a piece. And yeah. we would make you know, a decent amount of dollars because when you get in front of people, you're slinging your record and you're, you're playing the part of a poor band, which we were, right. people are generous and that yeah. would get us to the next town. And then we would, we found that through that, that was back in the, you know, email list days and, right. you know, the early stages of iTunes. I feel so dinosaur saying that, but it was wild because it was scrappy and we would do that every show and then we would come back and some people would come and yeah, that was the journey of the band and we were writing and releasing records and and then after our first, like we did a, the record with them and then hit the radio, hit the radio tour. And we were, we got our song come on up to like top 15 on the hot AC charts, which we thought was like huge. And yeah. we had like a little bit of a breakthrough and we were burnt out after about two and a half years of touring. And they were like, go make another record. And we we're like, oh God, like we just, I'd met my wife. A few of us had gotten married and yeah. we were like, we need a minute. We were gassed because we were driving ourselves everywhere. Yeah playing shows, driving, and, and then Capital basically was like, make a record in like two months, write and record and make a record in like two to three months and get it out before the fourth quarter. And we were like, uh, we can't do that. We don't have it in us. Yeah. So long story short, we like went out on a leap of faith and then went back independent. Wow. After the first record. And uh, and that's when we recorded Dancing Shoes and that was our biggest song independently. Wow. Yeah. First that's highway crazy. fine, John Marks heard it and put it on the highway. So Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that seems like um, most people would have just figured that they needed to figure out like how to yeah. make that record, yeah. you know? But y'all were like, nah. It was just happen. like, it was just so much like they wanted us to go, they wanted to basically fly me around and do a bunch of co-writes. And I was like, man, 
it's just going to sound like a bunch of songs that don't feel personal. Yeah. We've invested too much time and sacrifice and being out here and all the nights of, you know, driving and slinging records and meeting people and building a thing and learning who we want to be and what we want to say. And we were like, we need a minute. This is not, we're not handling this with care. This felt like a very capitalistic, just do this. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. And so we left them in a leap of faith and felt like that's where God was calling us. And then an old rep at Capitol, Paige Elliott, her dancing shoes, because we recorded it for like, you know, that EP for like $3,000. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. she heard it and sent it to John Marks and John Marks put it on the highway and then it sold like 150,000 singles independently. Wow. And that gave us enough wind to be like, can we do this still? Yeah. And then we did, you know, and in that time, my brother was in Nashville and was like, you should move to town, man. You really should. You would love it here. When you're not touring with the band, it's a great community. So I, my wife and I hitched up the wagon and came up here amidst all of that. Okay, so you moved up here. Yeah. And then just kind of started your like songwriting journey That's it. as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> Amidst the band, I convinced the guys that that was a good idea. You know, obviously yeah. that was hard, but I was like, I need to be able to invest in things that aren't just being all, gone all the time. Yeah. So I came to town and was green and never really had co-written like that before. And so I, I jumped into the waters, man. And it was, That's that awesome. was 12 years ago. Wow. And it's going pretty good. Dude, it's... <laughs> Just riding the wave of yeah. this thing that is creativity. Yeah, man. So what <clears throat> what was it like when you started like writing songs and getting co-writes? Were you, for those that don't know, your brother is a songwriter yep. as well. Like, was he helping you get in some rooms early on? Or did you, because of of the success of Green River Ordinance, were, was it, were you able to get in, in like rooms that you felt like were, you know, helping you get better yeah. songs and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I had met, I was with a company called Cobalt that was adminning all the band stuff. Okay. And I was able to kind of come into town and met Whitney Dane and Jeff Skaggs who were at Cobalt here. And they were able to kind of use a little bit of the band's, you know, pre presence or profile yeah. to Cachet. kind of build, yeah, start building something, right? Yeah. And, but, you know, my brother and I had never written before. We didn't write until like probably five or six years ago. Really? We had never, we'd always kind of done our own thing and kind of yeah. respected each other's space. So coming into town, even as my brother, you know, is having songs that are work and it wasn't ever like, you can't write with me, but it was always a preservation of like, hey man, kind of our own thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it wasn't until later that we got together. But yeah, Cobalt kind of plugged me in and was just like, hey, this is just a process, right? Get to know people, get to learn how to do this. And so, you know, as much as I'd written before, that was a whole nother level of just kind of seeing how this craft of songwriting works yeah. differently than what I was used to. Yeah. And uh, you move here and are you, are you pretty quickly like writing all the time and, and mm -hmm. like, did it you just kind of immediately started finding your, your crew or whatever? Yeah, I think so. Just writing and thinking your songs are good and you listen back and you're like, they're not that good. You know, yeah. learning, I think quickly that I had a lot to learn. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Like you hear Nashville's a 10 year town and you like buckle up and you write some songs. You're like, I think this is really good. And you're like, eh, it's not that good. And that's okay. <laughs> you just, you know, it, I think trying to preserve your thing while you collaborate is a really delicate balance, right? Because you yeah. can lose yourself trying to, you know, collaborate with everyone. And so, you know, early on, it's just trying to figure out like, what do I bring to the room and who do I like to write with? And so, yeah, fumbling my way through a lot of those, you know, graciously through a lot of rooms and hopefully people were, you know, they were very kind to me and gracious with me because yeah. I was just green. Yeah. 
Um, and then in that time I had written a ton of songs and a couple years passed and had a few things kind of simmering. And then I met Robin Palmer with smack and, uh, I jumped over there and have been there for eight years. Okay. Wow. And they have great snacks over there. Great snacks. Some of the best. It's just, I would say there needs to be uh yeah, there needs to be a contest. <laughs> Get a panel of people, roll them around town. I've thought about doing that later. Every year. year. Like a, like a just a ranking, a power ranking of yes. the publishers. And Why the does snacks. that happen? And some <laughs> others can, can up it up, up the game a little bit. Yeah. There's some pressure on some people that are lacking some snacks. We'll let them know who's in the bottom tier and yeah, yeah. maybe they'll, maybe they'll change. Yes, please, <laughs> please. Um, man, that's, that's crazy. So what was kind of like your, your journey? Were you having to balance like writing songs for, for you versus are they for, you know, the band are they for other artists like was that kind of hard for you to figure like i know when you get a when you get a great song it's like oh no well, okay yeah. now what am i going to do with this yeah did you have to work your way through that or did it kind of all make sense you know it all like the band thing was always and it still is like a delicate dance of like we're actually going in the studio in two weeks to make new music no, so, exciting. but it's like a, a like the band thing is almost like wheels off a little bit like can say whatever and you know and so i think I was trying to bring some of that into the room in Nashville, just like painting the edges a little bit with like how we say things or do whatever. But, yeah. you know, sometimes I could hear myself trying to write a Nashville song and been like, oh, I got to just let myself, let it be wide open. Oh, and, interesting. And always, even now, like still trying to get back to the place where there's a balance of what Nashville will do in a beautiful way is it'll teach you how to craft and think a lot. Mm -hmm. You can be, you can, you can think, about a title and how you would do it and the methodical. And there's a beauty in that. But the thing that I had come from was so emotive. Yeah. It was more like, let's play, ooh. And then from your subconscious things that you didn't even know you wanted to say come out and you chase that magic. And that's, both are right in their own regard. And I've had to try consist, you know, continuously throughout my writing journey to bring the balance of the two. And it depends on the different day. Yeah. One thing I miss a little bit is that, that kind of standing on the edge and like, we don't have a hook, but like somebody start playing something yeah, and you go, oh, and somebody says something and you just fumble out this thing and it feels magical and it's inspired. And so early on, I was trying to like, I'm going to write a Nashville song. And I was like, ah, oh, you sound like you're trying to write a Nashville song. Yeah. So it's like, how do you work your way into this? Uh, learning the craft of it, which I loved the lunch pail, like show up, do your preparation, show up and like, write a song, but I also like wanted to maintain a little bit of the, the journey, the fun, the kind of like you're in the woods and you're knocking down trees and you're carving away and you don't know where you're going yet. Yeah. And I kind of miss some of that. So it's been a continuous journey to try to balance the two. Yeah, I know. It's always fun to write that way, mm. but also like scary when you're trying to fit it, Yeah, you know, in a kind of a regular writing window yeah. and you're going, okay, well, I don't really know what the hook is. And we might get three hours in and like realize that we're yeah. not going to find it today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's always like uh, a balance, like oh, you said, bro. you know. Scary. Because you're like, what if these people think I'm an idiot? Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. We're it's all like, insecure. You're like, so everybody, do you think <laughs> I'm cool, right? <laughs> all right. I know. I know. It's, it's like, I wonder if they're just indulging me because mm. they're afraid not to or, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. But I do try and keep, keep an eye out for those warning signs. I'm like, all right, can, I can drive down here for a little bit, but like, let's make sure yep. this is making sense. But it is, it's yeah. hard sometimes. Cause you, you do miss the sitting in your bedroom, just 
word vomit. Yeah. And then figuring out where it went. That's, yeah. there's such a beauty in that. Yeah. You know, so. Man, I've thought a lot about this word kind of has something I've lived by or trying to live by is that there's no substitute for inspiration. Yeah. Like you can think about a song all day long. You could think about how like, I'm going to do this and all this, but there's a difference when you hear a song that's inspired and mm. you, we've all written songs when they've been inspired. And like, it feels like you're, you're riding the wave. And yeah. There's just momentum. And then you've all like done the uphill climb and not saying songwriting does not work at times, but when you're inspired, you unlock things you can't when you're thinking. And yeah. that's the, that's the mystery of songwriting. And that's the thing where you have to surrender a little bit to the mystery. Mm -hmm. We wanna control the mystery. And sometimes you gotta be like, you might go down that road and may not be there, but what if you go down that road and three hours later, something goes, yeah. and it's like this thing you couldn't have thought of. Well, kind of in that vein, like what, what sort of stuff do you do to like find your inspiration? Like how do you source your ideas? Is it, do you read, listen to stuff? Is it just sort of, life happens and you write stuff down or? Yeah, a lot of times it's just trying to keep the antenna up. And I think for me, the more I try to think that I wanna look for find ideas, I can't find them. Yeah, I'm like, I'm gonna find ideas. And it's like sterile dentist office. Yeah, But then there's something that happens, you know, I'm like, if I'm listening to music or I'm reading something or somebody says something or I'm just playing. That's the thing, it's like, I'm. You know, I heard Chris Martin say this once. He's like, I don't even want to see the chords because I just want to feel it. And then when you stumble across the progression, you're like, if I thought about that, I wouldn't have gone there. Yeah. And just phonetically letting yourself put on the voice memo and just mumble. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the songs, one of my favorite songs I've ever been a part of was with Jacob Davis and Dazi. Uh, and it was a song called When It All Shakes Out. And that song began with, I was just fumbling at the house and a line came out and I was like, oh, and I didn't even have that title. And it just kind of, we started it and I took it to them and we finished it. And it was like this thing that was just a, a bit of a thing in the sand of going, maybe you need to just let yourself play. Yeah. And there needs to be a portion of your writing where you're not thinking about, I got, I got a big ride today, I got to write a hit. It's just like, you need to get in front of the piano or guitar and let your subconscious ride this wave of these chords and phonetics. And then then you can kind of hone in on maybe what the idea would be. And so yeah. I found that helpful as I go into these rooms to let myself do that. The more I do that, the better I think well, I and am. It is almost an unlearning That's right. of a lot of the stuff. You, I think you put it so well, like the, the Nashville way is so strategic. Yep. And like, I find that a lot of times when I'm, when I am feeling burnt out or gassed or out of ideas, it's like, just go play, mm -hmm. sit there, read a book and then, keep your guitar around and like maybe noodle on something. Yeah. You know, and then it, you find like that's right. a new act, like a new idea that's exciting. That's, that's really the key, right? Is like finding that thing that excites you. That's it. And chasing that down. That's it. And that, that is uh, like fertile soil. That's it. So. It's like, you. it's almost like if the song is the essence, it's like you find the essence. Yeah. So like when you're mum, you fumble it, you found the core of the thing that makes the hairs on your arm stand up. And then that's where the work comes in. Yeah. It's like, you've got it cornered. You're like, there it is. I see it. Mm -hmm. It's like, if it's whatever, a deer in your sights or whatever, it's like, there's the energy. That's the thing that, that's the enigma that's pulling me. And now comes the Alan Shamblin, roll up your sleeves, frog hair. We're going to write out the lyrics. We're going to think about the lines. We're going to be methodical. And that's, there's a time and place for the math of it. Yeah. But there's also, there needs to be on the front end. It's like, if we're surfing, like we can't surf a wave that ain't there. We've all written a song that ain't got no 
gusto to it. Yeah. We've done it. And we're like, this doesn't feel like anything. Yeah. It just and goes in a, in it a just hole. goes. <laughs> and we checked it. We've written, it's checks the boxes, but I don't feel anything. And then we've all felt the wave. You're like, oh no, I'm catching a wave that feels like it's got a thing to it. And you hear it back and you go, I can tell when I hear this song that these people were feeling it. So it's always yeah. just trying to balance the two and having people ahead of me that help me with that and kind of remind me of that. But yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, you've had some pretty big songs recently, which I'm sure like, you know, it seems awesome from my point of view, but yep. like, what was your, your first number one? And like, can you tell me a little bit about like the ride? Yeah. I remember probably three years ago, I had a conversation with my bro and like, Hey man, like my deal with smack was coming up yeah. and I was like, I don't know if they're going to resign me. Like I've had some songs cut, but I like no songs on radio. I've got a couple of kids. I'm like, do I need to go do something else? Like wow. I was being candid. Like I might have to hang it up, dude, or like go do something else while I'm trying to make this work. Yeah. And you know, in that just continually keeping my head down. And obviously I had written a song with Jacob and Jordan and my bro called by dirt. And we had that song and we knew it was coming out and there was such positive momentum about that being his next single and yeah. all of the dominoes were lining up on that. And then uh, I thought that's gonna be my first one, my first big song, potentially at radio. And and then, you know, in that time I had written with Walker Hayes and had yeah. written with him a ton. He's a buddy from forever ago. And uh, I didn't really feel like writing that day. And I showed up and yeah, I saw Walker on my calendar and I love Walker. So I was like, I'm gonna do this day. But I was like, burnt out. And I was like, if it had been anybody else, I probably would have canceled. Wow. And we didn't have the idea and got in the room with Walker and we had he and Cambo and Shane Stevens and we laughed and cried about life and ended up writing a ridiculous fun <laughs> song called Fancy Like. And yeah. Robert Carlton before was like, you need to write, we need a radio song for Walker. And I was like, one walker if you know him he's so eccentric and wild and beautifully creative that i'm like the best thing about walker is he doesn't live in a box and so we got in there and we're like let's write a fun song and he uh he was like people think you know i go to the nicest restaurants because i'm an artist and i'm bougie and i and he's like really just load the kids up and go to waffle house or applebee's and so i grabbed a guitar and started singing fancy like top yeah. of the course and then it all kind of dominated from there walker spit out like the first half of that course in true walker fashion and that was yeah and then like two months later they did a tiktok dance and it was the fastest it 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 went to number one before uh dirt so that wow. was my first number one i mean i just remember that song being so huge like immediately yeah like by the time it went number one on radio like i was like it, it was like i don't even remember it, it, no. it i bet it was really fast it's 11 weeks wow yeah, it was insane. And did it, when it went viral on TikTok, was it out? Was the song so out? So they had, uh, memory serves me correctly, it come out or it was coming out and they had done the TikTok dance. It was right around the window there. And yeah. they had done, you know, at that time I was like, TikTok, what is this? Yeah, and I yeah, heard yeah. the song and I mean, I loved, the process was so fun, but I told Robert, I was like, I don't know if this is your radio song. I mean, we talk about Applebee's and Oreo shakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this, so I love this song, but I don't know what it does, you know? And then I remember going to Basement East and he was this, he was this EP release or album release and he they played it and people responded and I was like, Man, maybe something here. And then yeah. they had released the TikTok dance. So I think it was like the record had come out and then they did the dance shortly okay. after that. And then it just, I remember seeing this TikTok, all these numbers and people, and I was like, oh my gosh. And then it was just like the domino is radio's not going to play it. And then radio starts playing it. And then 
everybody's, you know, and then it's on pop radio. And then it was just, yeah. it was all my friends are texting me being like, and then it was in the Applebee's commercial. My friends are being like, <laughs> if I hear your song one more time. And I was like, buddy, every time you hear it, I buy diapers for my kids. Yeah, so it's it just, a good problem to yeah, have. Yeah, it was a good problem. So that was, that was like holding on to the rocket ship and going like, it was beautiful because there was no machine pushing it. it like mm-hmm. there was no sort of grand plan. Like we didn't write it to be a TikTok song. We didn't write it. We just wrote it having fun. And there was no calculation on a dance or anything. It just happened and and it just was so fast and such a waterfall that I was just like, you can't even make this up. Yeah, so. I think I always like was smiling every time I it came on anywhere. You know, yeah. TikTok originally when I first saw it because it was just so, every part of it was so unique hmm. to the artist. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew that, you know, you were involved with it and that made me happy for you. And then like, just like, you know, it's not supposed to be that you write a song and then, you know, you like do a dance with your family and then that like changes the course of yeah. everyone's life, Yeah, you know? So to me, that's like really special. Cause like, it's, it is, it's like anti-machine. Yeah. It's like not the way you're supposed no. to. And that's no. actually where the biggest like gains can can kind of be had Dude. basically just not thinking about it that's right having fun that's right which is why we got into this <laughs> that's it you know and it's like people were like you know i think you could easily with like walker been like don't be too much of a dad you know just pretend to be young yeah. and he's like nah through covid and he's like i'm gonna just d- dance with my daughter and my kids like i'm a dad yeah i'm 40 something it's like so i think in it to your point it just showed me that like people sometimes just want to be like that guy's kind of like me he's like with his kids having fun and yeah and it, uh, you know, it was the right time for a song like that. And so it was authentically him. And I was like, man, people can love it or hate it. But it was, it truly is on my side of the things. I love Walker and I go, my, my, my purpose when I enter that room with Walker is like, how can I facilitate you? Yeah. It's a different thing when I enter with Jordan. It's like Walker, it's like, this is, how do you want to say, well, okay, let's go there. And so I loved it, man. It just, the essence of music finding a way without a machine making it happen was like the people decided yeah. and people like told us that it wasn't going to be on radio, told us they weren't going to do this or that for it. And then people just pushed the ball down the hill and, or up the hill. And so I was like, it's pretty cool, man. Music's really not about, it's about those people, the common people that go, I want to hear this or not. And yeah. I go, that's pretty awesome. It feels like, you know, you hear about the early days of music where a regional radio rep will get a song and it kind of like charges the song being a hit. Right. Right. So it felt a little bit of like the power to the people a little bit, which is awesome, man. Yeah. Do you recall like when it went number one, like, did it feel like a certain way? I mean, you've been writing songs for a long time. So I guess I'm always curious, like what the actual, you know, do you just like wake up the next day and like, it's just, it's Saturday. Yeah. you, You hear that, you know, you hear and not to be like, it was such a beautiful ride but it was an emotionally complicated situation. Really? Because I think you spend so much of your life thinking about, well, I want this. Mm. And there's so much about the journey that was preserved and beautiful and people and connection and dads and daughters and the momentum. But I think your heart starts thinking, you know, there was a lot of roadblocks that like, is it gonna, is this, is this gonna happen And so much potential resistance as it was fine in a way, but I think you just, you get tangled up a little bit in the stuff that doesn't matter, the metrics and oh, all of this that just becomes kind of grimy. Yeah. And so it's a two, it's a twofold like journey that like, it was a fight, you know, to not, to not get caught up in the stuff that doesn't matter and just to preserve a little bit of the beauty of it. Right. Yeah. And then you get there and you're like, 
uh, like what's next or, you know, you put so much emphasis on it. And I think it's like, yeah, talk about this with Walker a lot. It's like, you could, you could feel lonely if you're not careful, if you make this song be number one, everything. Mm. You're like, I need a number one and I got it. Yes. It's like, I just had to replant my heart back into the, the thing we do is about people. It's about songs entering people's lives and does it make them want to love their daughter and sing it with her, or dance with her. Like that is the essence. That is the beauty. That is the purpose. Not how many weeks we were at the hot 100, whatever. Or yeah. you're like, you get into those things and that becomes egocentric and empty. And then you have to replant to the heart and you go like, this is about people. And so it was always just like, you know, not to be emo about it, but it was one of those things where it wasn't like, look what we did. It was just like, thank you, God. And also like the wind in my cell was the people yeah. doing it, not like, this is where you are on the songwriter chart of this big thing or this, <laughs> right, right, this right. mini record sold. I just like, it felt so, at that point, it feels like everything gets disseminated down to like metrics. And I go like, it's, I, don't, I don't really even, it's fun, but it's like, I always found it, I've always found it like, just potentially troubling because then you begin chasing metrics, right? And I mean, you've lived it with Green River Ordinance, I'm sure. Like, and I've I've seen it in my own life. Yeah, when I'm when I'm looking at the metrics, I'm always looking the wrong way. You're I, right. I, I'm looking backwards. Mm. And so when you're looking backwards, you start making decisions that are incorrect or, right. or that aren't. They'll they'll like for me if I start making decisions based on metrics, like I end up getting burnt out actually. Yeah. Whereas if I'm always looking forward and going, okay, how do I use what I know to make this thing that I want to happen, happen? Mm. But it's less about, oh, it it needs to get this many views on TikTok. It's more about, I know if I make someone feel something, which is what I felt when I wrote the song, if I can find a way to convey that message, then that's the, yeah. that's like where the, whatever the thing is, yeah. the essence that, that's it, you know? Because otherwise you're just, you can't, everyone in Nashville, right? It's easy to look at the metrics. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely a, you know, it's a small community, small town. We're all, you know, keeping up with the Joneses a little right. bit, you know? So yeah, um, yeah I, that's definitely, that's, that's interesting to hear you say that. Because yeah. from my perspective, Fancy Like was just, I didn't even know it was a struggle. It just seemed like an absolute rocket ship the whole time. So yeah. Yeah, it was at, at a certain point it had picked up so much momentum that we're like, there's no way it feels like, you know, but as an insecure songwriter, you're like, is it going to work? People are saying these awful things. And that's where I'm like, <laughs> I, my <laughs> wife is like, you need to get off the internet, dude. Cause I'd be like, with some people's comments, I'd be like, oh my gosh, these people are so ruthless. And then you just, <laughs> you're sensitive and you get t tangled up in criticism and you're like, yeah. what the heck, dude? A exit, exit the room. Yeah. So, yeah, all of the things. I learned a lot. That was probably the most I had, you know, dirt was a completely different experience. Right. But fancy, I'd learned a lot about myself and my heart and being prepared for that. And then why do I care what people think and what is my why? And, and where do I celebrate and what does celebration look like? It doesn't, it's, you know, it's, you know, and so all of it had taught me a lot as much as the song was beneficial in the sense it was a big song. It was also a learning lesson for me that I yeah. have never been the same from. So, wow, that's awesome. Did you do anything in particular to celebrate? Do you remember like, uh, we went to Applebee's, my wife and kids, and we got, go. they brought the Oreo <laughs> shake back and we did it, dude. And it was awesome. You that's know, awesome. it was really fun. Yeah. And so it's, 
and you know getting back with walker and and you know he's just a dear friend and we had a lot of conversations through it you know it was beautiful and how he got to like bring a whole new group of people into his fold and talk yeah. about his journey and his addiction and overcoming that and all of it and so like you look at the purpose of that song it's like people think it's you know whatever and i go man this opened up so many people to the redemptive story of Absolutely. failure and emptiness and finding God and purpose and uh, what Walker is and what he embodies. And I go, that's the purpose of that song. As much as it is bringing dads and daughters and having fun, that was to me, the silver lining over it all. It's like now all these people, they're having fun, but you're yeah. hitting them with a message that's gonna hit their soul and that's gonna make them think about their life and maybe think about being a dad. And I go, that's why we do this, man. If, if we can enrich people's lives, it's like, that's better than standing on a stage. That's better than being number one on Hot 100, honestly. Yeah. If I can think, if we can have a song that makes a dad go, I wanna be a better dad for my girl. I wanna like spend more time with her. I'm gonna go do this, thing. I'm gonna whatever. It's like that eternally is more valuable than just like, you are on the songwriter chart. It's like, dude, that just gets tangled up in my ego. And I don't yeah. need that. I don't need that. Yeah. Run the other way. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, then that's, that's really, uh, that's really like, I don't know, inspiring to hear. Well, so thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, and, uh, yeah, you were, you were part of, of by dirt as well, which, you know, again, this is just from my point of view was a more traditional ride. That's it. You know? Yeah. Um, but that is like such an incredible song. That Thanks, man. Also, great message. Yeah. You know, do you recall like, I, I, did y'all write that on like a writer's retreat, right? We did. And we wrote it out at a cabin um, that we've tried to find since. And we're like, what is this? We should go back there. We'd written a couple of songs that ended up being some of our favorite songs and went out there. Obviously, I'd known Jacob and Jordan for such a long, long time and have been friends. And back when Jacob was doing his artist thing and and always have just kind of formed a beautiful relationship with them and as brothers and this yeah. journey of music and writing with Jordan when he was just writing for his first record and yeah. remember showing up to Smack with me and my bro and I wrote with him. You're we like, nice to meet you. You know, it was kind of, but though that was forever ago. And so, yeah, we got in a cabin outside of town and we're just kind of writing for his next thing. And um, it was, it was a beautiful, pure, it was pure in the, a lot of ways that felt like that song was able, I don't think we would have written that song in a writing room in Nashville. No oh, offense to that, but yeah. like the way it happened and the morning we wrote it and my bro had the idea prior and we had talked a little bit about it. And, but just the, the setting for when it was the right time for God to be like, this is the time you write this song. The way that we were talking about life over coffee and actually like talking about the men we want to be and the husbands we are and reading, reading some verses and, and just, talking about truth and like, and literally grabbed a guitar and that's when it started happening. Wow. It's just, it was just the right moment for the song to be, you know, preserved. But yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, man. I know that song means, means a lot to a lot of people, you know, yeah. it's a, it's a special one. Um, when you, when you look back, if you could kind of go back to you 12 years ago, like what, what kind of advice would you, hmm. would you give yourself moving to town? Same advice I'd probably give myself today. Which is what? Which is, I was having this thought today. I was like, we often create out of thinking, what will people like? Mm -hmm. We often create because sometimes we are, we're trying to like read the temperature on this thing that we call music. I'm going to write this kind of song because people are needing this kind of song. And sometimes the thing I would tell myself then that I would tell myself now is you have to sometimes shake that off of you. And it's really between you and the song, you and the idea, almost you need blinders on. I truly think 
the songs that I'm trying to write and reach to can only be gotten to, not if I'm going, well, what is, what would people think of this? Or who else is doing that? Or what can I do, you know, chasing? It's the chasing thing. It's yeah. like the songs I'm trying to get to, the songs that I aspire to write, I don't think they were chasing when they wrote them. I think they were just, they got into the stream and they felt a progression or a melody or something that, that pulled them and they rode that to this thing that is no one can take credit for. They're like, oh my God, we're like equally a part of something. So I think I would tell myself back then, I'm like, it's simple as just not to let yourself get caught looking at what other people doing or thinking about too much. What, do, what would people want to hear? Mm. I think it's just like, what does the song want to say? What does the song want to say? What does the song make you feel? And let that be your center, huddle around that fire and let that be the driver. I tell myself that now I'm like, you know, ask myself the question, have you lost yourself? Have you, do you are you, are you inspired? Yeah. Are we just doing this? And so a lot <laughs> yeah. of hard questions because you can just do it. And you're like, that's not the objective. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we all get there at various points yeah. throughout the journey. Yeah. It seems like once a year I'm really up against like, yeah. I'm like, what am I doing right mm-hmm. now? You know, I just try and go on a walk or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stare at the stars or something. Yeah. It's almost like you got to remember to be small again, to be childlike again. Yeah. You get cerebral and you're like, I need to, this is mystery. This is, this is heaven. This is spiritual. When it's spiritual, you can think your way into things that feel whatever. You kind of got to let yourself lean back into the let go of going, I'm just going to play some chords. I'm going to jam with my buddies. I'm going to play the piano. I'm going to read. I'm going to just let the soul. How do I unearth my subconscious to let something out that I can't think into existence? I think those are the songs that the ones that you go, oh, dang. Yeah. But is that, um, do you kind of take a similar philosophy when like, because you obviously have, you know, your band, you have kind of, you've released records just as you, yep. you've, you've got this songwriting career. Like, how do you know, like you said earlier, uh, Green River's going in to, to make a new record. Like, how do you, how do you know when it's, does it just feel like time? You know, you know I you, just, is there a, is there like a master schedule that, <laughs> you know, what the guys have been like, would well, you want to make more music? And we talked about it and I just kind of came to a place. I'm like, why am I not? Why not? I think I felt like a little bit of the percentage of songs we write, the songs that don't get you released. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know what? I think I just want to do this for the joy of it. I just want to make something that feels like I'm not overthinking it. Yeah. So much of our thing can be so calculated. Like I said, I'm just like, I just want to like have fun with the band and I have fun writing songs all the time, but I go, I want to just make something and release it and re-engage in that like relationship of song to people in a yeah. first person sense and not through another person. And so, you know, will people care? I don't know. But I think if anything, it'll be fun to kind of, uh, to explore that again. Yeah, dude. I mean, I think it's awesome. And uh, yeah, I love, I love the band. I love all those guys. Yeah. Y'all been, y'all always been great to me. Well, we love Taking you. me out on the road a few times. And we love you, man. Yeah. Is there anything uh, like besides a new record, anything else you're, you're stoked about right now? Or are you kind of in the flow state? What's the... Yeah, yeah. I think I'm uh, I'm excited to... I think you caught me in a little bit of a processing. You know, you always just coming back, coming back to center. And, and yeah. uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the next chapter as a songwriter and just and going like you have some songs at work and then you learn a little about who you are and the motivation of why you do this. And so I think I'm excited for the next chapter just to... to um, 
see what happens, but yes. also approach it from a sense of, I've had this thought, what if we viewed songwriting as service? Huh. Like benevolence, like what we do is not about the ego and going, look what I've done, but songs are about how do we serve people? How does a song help somebody or make them happy or help them in the valley or the mountain? So I think the next chapter for me is really clarifying like, what if I viewed this as like a gift from God that hopefully can serve somebody? Yeah. And, and that way it like deflects like anything that lands on me as like ownership or look at me what I've done. So that's the next chapter for me, whatever. Maybe the songs won't be as good, but maybe I'll be, <laughs> uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Well, uh, no, thank you for, for sharing all that. And like, I know this is like a very cerebral podcast where I'm just like asking people, how do you feel about these yeah, things? But, but I, I think it's, um, I think it's really important because I think that a lot of um, like, as, as much as this is a community, mm. this journey is lonely, Yeah, you know, because if I'm feeling like I suck, yeah, I don't always want to call you and say, oh, I feel like I suck. Yeah. Can you help? You know, like you got any advice, right? So it's just, it's helpful. I think hopefully for people to hear like other people's journeys and go like, dude, all right. I think, okay. I'm this thing that I'm feeling is not like so odd. Yep. Right. Cause 100. this thing is, this thing's a journey, man. It's it a, a marathon. Yeah. Um, but, uh, dude, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, man. Love I, what you're doing. I appreciate it. And, uh, that's it. That's the pod. See you later. Thanks everybody for listening. Keep rating, keep reviewing, keep subscribing. We love you. Talk to you soon. Bye.